0: Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 72. I'm joined this week, as always, with my co-host, Travis Allen of MTG Price and MTG Fast Finance, Jim Caselli of Quiet Speculation, and Ed Wynn of Kerwin's Game Store. This cast, as always, is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com and Gathering Magic, your number one place to buy, sell, and trade, maybe. They have an insane buy list bonus of 25% and of course, free shipping on orders over $100. So if you have a couple extra Benjamins, throw them their way and yeah, they'll hook you up with some free shipping.
1: Ed with a buzzer beater over here.
0: And Ed made it right on
2: time. Ed, Ed came so last minute that I was I was in a different tab and you're like, and Ed win. And I was like, but he's not here. And then I got back and I was like, oh, I guess he is actually here. Never mind. And of course, I'm Jeremy, uh,
0: rounding up the cast as always, but I wouldn't be anything without the three other guys on this cast. And of course, we just had the pre-release for Ixalan. I don't know about you, but based on everything I saw, the set looked like dynamite. A lot of people were having fun with their crew, and I saw a lot of fun tweets this week about the pre-release. How did you guys feel? Did you guys go to any of these pre-releases? Did you see anything, or did you stay at home and just watch other people have fun?
2: Are there pre-releases that are, like, streamed that I could see while I was at home? Because that's something I did not know.
0: Yeah, people actually stream their pre-releases so that you can watch them.
2: Oh, that seems ambitious. Uh, No, I went to the pre-release. I went to Cool Stuff. Um, They gave away these sweet golden doubloon tokens that people use for treasures. Um, I think that's one of the better metal tokens that we've gotten so far, so that's cool. Uh, The set seems like a lot of fun, but man, there are a lot of bad rares in the set, like just for limited. Um, I opened pretty much all of them, and it was uh, quite annoying to build my sealed pool. But uh, the format seems pretty cool. Uh, Dinosaurs are great. Um, They're a lot of fun to play with. I think that people are excited for this standard that's coming out, and I think that there are a lot of people uh, that were excited for just the different... uh, tribes that were in this set, so it feels like there were a lot more people at the pre-release than the last couple sets.
0: Ed, did you wander into the mythical plane of Ixalan this weekend, or were you too busy doing other things? Uh, Too busy doing other things. And of course, Travis, what were you up to?
1: (laughs) I did not go to the Ixalan pre-release. I went to the mall and shopped for my wedding. It was a it's a good time.
0: Yeah, it seems like you have your priorities in place. I stopped by a couple pre-releases. Uh, our turnouts were exceptionally higher than the la- than all of Cat block, so it's good to see uh, money circulating back into my pocket, I guess you could say, because players are more confident in the standard format, which means that there's going to be better prices, in my opinion. Um, other than that, like... I saw a lot of people having fun with pirates. Uh, someone like brought a giant drink, like a grog theme uh, pirate drink. And like they dressed up and another person dressed up as a dinosaur. I mean, that pirate drink must have held at least a galleon of liquid. But other than that, uh, I don't know. It was uh, it was a pretty good weekend. People seemed to have a lot of fun. And yeah, now, of course, uh, we just... Crunched the numbers just like everyone else, and the set value of Ixalan has been determined. It's around ninety-six dollars TCG mid right now, not including foils, I believe. And I think Safran Olive came up with a similar number on his article that came out yesterday. Now that's comparable or higher to Hour of Devastation at set release um the difference is those had masterpieces and a lot of the cards in this set that make up the value now are shifted down toward rare which means on average your boxes at least at open on uh uh the day you can buy the cards or that weekend even you're going to get a lot more money back in your box based off tcg mid rather than just playing the lottery and hoping to open a damn nation um Ed, do you guys have any idea how many boxes you're going to open yet with this new set value or is it just, we're only going to open this many for our locals and not worry about online sales? Uh, we're doing 360
3: on day one and then more uh, to follow probably in like the next like few days after that. But day one is 360.
0: And Jim, are you buying a box to uh, have fun or are you going to go draft down at Cool Stuff? What's your plan?
2: Uh, I pre-ordered pretty much all of the singles that I wanted. Uh, at this point, I'm probably going to pick them up and then immediately buy list them because they're more than what I paid for them. So that's how I feel about that. Um, I'm not going to buy a box. There's just like too many bad cards that I'm probably never going to want to play. There are, If there are bad cards that I do want to play, then I'll buy a box. But like, I, I don't really like sealed product anymore. It's too much of a crapshoot.
0: And Travis, what are your plans for the newest set?
2: Uh,
1: I will do what I always do, which is ignore it unless there is one card that I need for an EDH deck I just built. And then around the time the next set comes out, I will remember to go on TCG Player and buy any singles that I haven't picked up yet after the price has dropped.
0: Yeah, and it's nice to see the uh, buddy lands or check lands or whatever you want to call them uh, get back in standard. There's a lot of demand for those. I don't know about Ed, but I had a lot of those sitting around. Like They sell very well to EDH players, but we were buying them in faster than we were selling them, and now it's nice to see more demand for those things because they're really not worth that much money. So if you guys want to buy foil check buddy lands for EDH, you can now also play them in standard. Uh, but not many people foil their EDH or their standard decks at least anymore.
3: I think the fact that like those lands at rare, it, it's like I will say it's very similar to Keldash. You kind of have a rare cycle that's reasonably ubiquitous, right? Like obviously, like you know, they're not like the they're not the best cards, right? Like blooming Marsh does see a little play in like the like the rock deck variants in modern. Like Spire bluff Canal does see some play in like the various like Control Decks, like the Just Guy Control Decks. But having like these types of cards back at rares, one, because there's no masterpieces, people might open less. It kind of helps mitigate like how bad boxes were because for for like the longest time towards the end, like both Amaket and Hour of Devastation, it felt pretty miserable to open up uh, just products in general. Like you're almost guaranteed like a bulk rare. Um. And even the mythics just felt completely marginalized by how overshadowing, like, the masterpieces were. And unfortunately, like, the the nature of the invocations, like, even when you did open a masterpiece, you were still kind of either opening, like, the nuts, like, kind of the Blood, Moon, Thought, Seas level cards, or you're basically opening a card, like, Divert, like, which is just, like, you're almost better off trying to, like, hope you open, like, a moderately playable mythic. Um, But, like, I think a lot of the rares in this set... uh, they're not. They're starting off reasonably low. I think there will definitely be a point where a fair amount of them, like they're they're definitely reasonable to gamble on. Um, mainly because without masterpieces, uh, the rarities of all, of everything have kind of shifted upwards. I guess right. Like now it's like, you know, masterpieces are no longer mythics. Mythics are no longer rares. Rares are no longer like uncommons. Basically, everything everything is kind of scaled upward like and correct themselves into like where their rarity should be um and i think i think that's kind of a good place for the set to be especially with the fall set um kaladesh was kind of one of those sets where it was just it it did very well for multiple reasons um like obviously all the artifact inventions when wizards announced that oh we're gonna do masterpieces from here going forward Obviously, like, that was a huge boon. Obviously, the set was just very, very popular to begin with. That was kind of, like, for people who don't remember, like, Smuggler's Copter was kind of the big rare at the start, and it kind of just stayed up there as the staple rare for the set. Um, but, like, that was an example of a fall set that did exceptionally well. But for as well as Kaladesh did, cat block definitely suffered. Whereas here, you kind of have a more, I want to say, like, average block. Like, it was, it's definitely better than Amaket and Hour of Devastation, but it, like, uh, it it's not going to do quite as well as Kaladesh. And I think that's kind of a more reasonable balance of what set should be as opposed to just, like, some very, very good sets followed by some very, very bad sets. Um, so I think Ixlanta is in a good place right now. I do kind of look forward to seeing how standard shapes up over the next, like, two months.
0: Jim, is there anything you want to add about that?
2: No, I think uh, Ed covered it pretty well.
0: Okay, Travis, anything you want to add before we move on?
1: Oh, I'd pretty much hit the nail on the head with.
0: uh, Well, the the
1: one thing I think I'd miss was that um, because of the flip cards uh, appearing on the Mythic sheet, uh, Mythics are slightly more rare this time around. So instead of getting them in one and eight packs, you get them in like one and nine or something like that. Uh, so the result is they're about 10-ish, 12% more rare than they used to be. Combine that with the lack of masterpieces and you really have a recipe for higher value mythics and rares, uh, especially because all the garbage stuff, like if the set, if the rares and mythics have to carry an extra 15% in value, It's not going to be the bulk rares that have to carry that value, that like $10 or $15. It's going to be all in like the top seven or eight cards. So you're going to get like an extra $15 distributed amongst like 10 best cards in the set. So you will see an increase in price for sure. Um, I think there is a recipe here for a $50 standard mythic again. We haven't seen that in quite a while. The catch is that Wizards seems to have known this was coming and intentionally depowered the mythics. Uh, that was something that caught my eye when I was looking through the full spoilers. just the mythics themselves didn't really seem that phenomenal. Um, it seemed like there might be more action at rare. And it, that might be because wizards knew the mythic prices were could rise here. So now we get seven mounted draw sevens instead of Sphinx's revelation, right? So just keep that
0: in mind. But it also means that if there is a mythic in here that's really good, it could explode. And of course, I also want to add that I agree with Travis on this. There's going to be a lot more opportunities to make money, which I think is great. If you're trying to trade at your local FNM, you can dump some of these cards that you're opening for a little more money than normal. Get a couple more EDH cards you want. There's one thing you guys all forgot to mention, and that is the Buy a Box Promo Packs. We are essentially getting standard showdown packs that come with, I want to say, two foils and two rares now on top of your Burning Suns avatar. I believe it's limited to one per person. I haven't looked at the packet they sent us, uh, but that means there will still be a artificially higher supply of some of these rares or mythics. Um, I like that a lot in a year because it will depress prices more than normal. And if there's something that we like Like that, uh, that mythic enchantment that changes life totals, if that goes down to like 50 cents, like that, that seems like a very good no brainer for the long term.
1: Wait, which mythic? The
0: which one? Uh, it it has art that looks like test of endurance. It's at the beginning of your upkeep, I say, I believe, like you switch play, you switch life totals with another player. And because there's going to be more of these artificially coming into the market due to these packs, because they're not getting opened out of the the booster boxes are just getting opened out of these pre-release packs uh that means that for every box someone buys at their local shop we're going to have more in supply so i think it's something that wizards did to combat these 50 dollars mythics but at the same time i think it's even better for people in the mtg finance world that they did this so we will see um and of course, moving on, we got wave number 10 of the Judge promos this week. It was announced today that Gaddock Teague will be returning, which is everyone's favorite little kitkin, unless you're trying to buy a Russian foil, because those prices are obscene. We got Dorn the Siege Tower, just like um, Ed's records at Grand Prix. It is also a 05 legendary creature. And we got Prismatic Geoscope, which is a Commander 16 card, I believe. Uh, it's a mana rock that, according to Jim, is sometimes better than Gilded the Lotus. But the best one of all I saved for last, uh, Capture of Xingzhao Jingzhao. I am horrible at pronunciation. They finally reprinted this card. I mean, I had my Portal 3 Kingdom set complete, so this sort of sucks. Um, but, you know, you got to give the judges something besides prismatic geoscopes for them to be able to afford to live so we did get a reprint of a $300 card jim are you thinking of picking this up at all is this going to be another temporal manipulation to add to your deck
2: honestly i don't like playing those in general um i have temporal manipulation and time walk already um not really interested in buying this it's probably going to be too much money especially if this is the only wave that it comes out in like if it goes down to like $30, Thirty dollars, like maybe I'll buy one, but that's unlikely given what it's starting out right now. This this wave, I'm expecting to be between 100 and to 100 dollars, probably.
0: I was thinking 100, like 80 to 100, based off where Imperial Seal settled.
2: Yeah, but how many times did Seal come in the packs? There's at least two, right? More than that, maybe. I don't know,
0: Ed. You are the expert. You want to give us your opinion? Um,
3: I think Seal had three printings. Uh, I. Th- I'm inclined to say that this might be a little bit lower. Um, I, I think it's one of those effects where it it's a little bit worse, mainly because I think you do have kind of the, the people similar to Jim where you have a self-policing group where playing like, oh, I can, like, you know, like, we've had Time War for the longest time. We've had, like, Temporal Mastery um like now once people can just start chaining those effects together it's like okay like you've taken like three turns in a row now like this is getting kind of old um so whereas like imperial seal it's like pretty ubiquitous and it also had a much higher initial price point seals were like you know like a few years ago england like nearby english seals were seven hundred dollars if you could ever sell one um they were like five to seven hundred dollars realistically um now uh like like they've gone down quite a bit, but capture like I think peaks out like a month ago. Like it was what two fifty, like two twenty to two fifty, I think somewhere in there. I want to say, um, it's it's just it's just a much lower cost. I do think they'll it'll honestly be much lower. Um, I just don't see as much demand for it. Uh, whereas I think like uh, I I mentioned in the group like Chris my Geoscope was kind of the card that was just a little bizarre to me. It's not particularly expensive rare to begin with. I assume the reason why it's targeted was a lot of people were probably playing multicolored decks in EDH, and this is obviously the first time foil for that card. But it, it just seemed a little strange uh, to have that card as a choice, considering how it was printed like less than a year ago, or less than a year ago, like almost a year at this point. And I, I feel like there's a few more cards that would be a little bit sweeter, as it were, uh, to be a judge foil than kind of the like random, like Portal 3 Kingdoms rare that is overdue for a reprint, and then just like Actigue, which is the return one. I think like Dorn is definitely sweet, but Chrismatic Genoscope just kind of feels well, like just uh, comp- completely too random for me.
0: Travis, anything you want to say to seal the deal on this Judge promo talk?
1: Yeah, the Judger foils are a constant reminder that wizards can hose you out of nowhere if you're not ready or paying attention. So just keep that in mind especially if you're planning on specking on any of them because they could always come again, which is something I conveniently forget about every time. And I was like days away from probably going several hundred dollars in on Teagues. And then the news came out today and I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) thank you that that money transfer didn't go through fast enough because I would have bought a bunch of them because I noticed that the price discrepancy was really big. So uh, just remember the judge promos can be printed multiple times and don't let that hang you out to dry if you're not expecting
0: it. Yeah, I want to say, was the Dark Confidant promo re-released lately? Or am I? did I just see that somewhere and it was fake? Did, were they re-releasing another old promo in the Judge Packet set that you know of?
2: I haven't heard uh, anything about that. Okay, yeah, I, someone
0: might have been pranking me then, because I could have sworn I saw somewhere that the original Dark Confidant judge promos were coming back. That sounds vaguely familiar, but... Yeah, I... I Someone told me that, and then I remember seeing it somewhere. You know, I, I put all my money in a foil Russian one now, so I don't really have to uh, worry about the judge promo printings. Uh, but don't do that if you're, uh, if you're financing, because they're not cheap. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, judge promos are a good way. If you, are a, a, uh, if you are on a limited budget and you have a friend who's a judge... And he has no clue how to sell these promos that he gets in the exemplar program. And you only have 100 to $200. You can say, hey, I'll sell these for you. I'm not going to buy them right now, but I'll sell you for them on commission. And that way you get to go get a steak dinner from your friend for free because you're selling one of these on Facebook or Twitter for him. And you don't get caught getting burned by selling these judge promos. Uh, because you're not buying them at like on Elishnorn, for example, a lot of people got burned trying to sell those. I mean, I remember Travis uh Travis like sold one and he complained about how how little he got and then it like bottomed out completely and he ended up like a hundred plus dollars ahead on the deal.
1: So still sucked.
0: Yeah, and it's hilarious that he's complaining about a free hundred and hundred dollar, hundred and fifty bucks. That's a lot of money to our listeners, Travis.
1: I'm not and, complaining about
0: $300, I'm complaining about having lost
1: 300 instead of having lost 400.
0: Right, so that's the thing that I'm talking about is if you're friends with the judge and the judge doesn't want to buy list it, you can try and sell it for them on Twitter, Facebook, your local groups, and you can say, hey, I'll take 10% or something, which is basically worth just enough for you to sell the card for him. And money doesn't change hands at any point until you get paid for the card. And I see a lot of people uh, starting to do that because these judge promos are becoming more volatile in how far fast they fall down. So if you are social media savvy or just very good at finding people who need certain cards, um, that's what I would recommend. Because there are judges that want cash instead of these cards. And I'm not targeting you in particular, Jim. It's just a trend I've been seeing lately with these promos. So, I
2: don't know if I believe you.
0: Okay. Well, how about you believe this, Jim? Do you want to talk about who won our $25 gift card this week?
2: That was an awful segue. Have you been spending time with Marcel? No, man. I wish. He is great. Yeah, but his segues are not. Uh, so, our winner this week is David Moore, who says, I'm going to be traveling to a GP and was curious about what the best way to pack your cards is to ensure they are somewhat secure. Uh, also, like carry on methods and preparing an easy method while going through TSA while flying. I just don't want to get my cards damaged. I want to be selling them uh, and trading them at the Grand Prix.
0: I think it depends on a couple things. If you're flying domestically or internationally, uh, that's the biggest first thing to worry about. Um, but before we even get there, you have to get through the TSA. And they do not like foils. Their machines hate foils. I don't know if Jim's had experiences with this that he wants to I, discuss. I've,
2: I've gone through many times. I've gone through TSA many times with many mostly or completely foil decks, and I've only got stopped once. And I don't know. It really, I think it depends on what deck box you're also using. Uh, I know that metal deck boxes are a no-no. Don't do that. Um, I use the, like, Ultra Pro flip boxes. Those are fine. Or, like, one of those, uh, like, two-part, like, 100-count deck boxes. I don't know how to, to, like, show them. Like, they used to be called, I think Monster made them. But basically, like, try not to use a metal deck box. Try not to use a deck box that's very thick um, if they ask you to take them out i don't know like they're not going to take them away from you they're not explosive but or they're not you're not not allowed to bring them on the plane so just be kind and cur- courteous and they'll get through really quickly like it's really not that big a deal uh personally uh in in fact if you're gonna take like a like a like a bcw like white box that's probably the best thing you can do it's pretty thin it's not made out of metal uh, you can open it real quickly and show them that there's nothing that you shouldn't have inside of it. That's probably the best case scenario.
1: When you go through the TSA security, they can use their x-ray to see your thick deck.
2: Thank you, Travis.
3: Ed? Man, I wish my experience was as easy as Jim's. Um, depending on how frequently you travel, like, you're going to get like agents who are paying pain in the ass, people who are just super super obnoxious about one thing uh never ever check your valuables um i've had experiences of sealed product being opened up i've had experiences of sealed product being stolen uh packs have been opened up individually and cards have been taken out of packs um i would never check anything valuable um most of that stuff you can take on with you um, I don't really have a great example of what you use laying around. That's super close.
0: 400-count uh, BCW boxes, stuff like that. Basically what I'm holding up here, Ed. Yeah, I like
3: to go like, slightly bigger. <laughs> like these. Uh, this is a hardware box. This is... I think this is the 500-count box, I want to say. this.
2: It's probably five or eight.
0: That's the 540 box. I have the 800-count Haruya box here. I have the 800-count BCW box here. I basically got every box you need uh, as far as what to travel with. I have recently switched to these lovely League boxes that uh, Wizard sent us. They are very, very nice. I actually prefer them more than BCW. They're a little thinner um, as far as extra space goes because I want my cards to be nice and compact, uh, but they seem to be more sturdy right now. And because they're a little smaller, you can fit them in your backpacks multiple ways instead of just the old BCW in the backpack. As far as Ed talks about confiscating stuff, I've seen Facebook posts from vendors yelling at people that they are not going to check their like, carry-on of 80 pounds of their GP buys. Uh, so I do not recommend that. But when I travel, I have like three or four binders. I have a book that explains what I'm doing, which is all sales and buys to keep my accounting happy. Um, And then I have uh, like a printed out version of Magic essentially, as far as like, this is the Grand Prix I'm heading to. So when I went to Providence and I got everything uh, opened up, I had a GP Providence uh, FAQ sheet printed out so that they knew exactly like where I was going for what. And I've stuck to that because I seem to get stopped every third flight I go on with magic cards.
1: I think Ed should start a solo cast where he stands on a stage and presents his philosophies
0: of life, and it's called Ed Talks. That sounds like a a winning
2: solution,
3: Travis. I hate, I hate you guys.
2: <laughs> Man, I didn't think that I could dislike puns more than anything Jeremy says, but Travis is very quickly making his way up there in in things I'd never want to hear again. Yeah, Travis,
0: your your puns are just plain wrong. You're really winging them lately. So take all this baggage and get out of here. Um, But yeah, thank you for the question, David. How can he redeem his prize, Jim?
2: You can send me a message on Facebook or Twitter, and I will get back to you with the code. If you want to win next week, you could do the same thing that he uh that uh David Moore did this week and post a comment on the Gathering Magic page uh when this cast is up.
0: So yeah, uh that is most of our docket for this week. We do have some other things that I guess we should cover. You know, we've covered these judge promos, we've covered how to fly with stuff. Um it's almost the end of the year already and ed had a very good tweet uh he is good at tweeter.com apparently ed do you want to explain your philosophy that you posted that a lot of people responded positively to and why you think it's such a good idea for the end of this year
3: uh yeah i basically like a few days ago i just kind of threw out there um people need to be saving their bankroll. I think like an episode or two ago, we, I, we kind of talked about like bankroll management. I think that was with when JR was on. I think it was in After Hours. Who want to go back and kind of listen to that. And we kind of talked about how managing your bankroll is one of those <clears throat> skills that's like really heavily undervalued. But like in poker, managing your bankroll is basically a make or break it when it comes to like being a pro or be being able to turn profit from it. And to kind of extend that, I basically just said, Save your bankroll now. There's a lot of quality products. Just, uh, or your 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 bankroll will have a lot of buying power in the near future, or something along those lines. And I think, like I, when I was thinking about, it, I just kind of meant it tongue in cheek. I think that was kind of more of a general response to like I see all these people like, you know, going crazy over like Wheel of Fortune is now hundred dollars. Like, you know, if Wheel of Fortune is right hundred dollars, like you've missed your boat, right? Like if you're spending a hundred dollars, realistically, you're gonna get like. 85 out of it or whatever, like $90 out of it, um, which is a different conversation. entirely. I don't want to like open up the discussion about buyouts or reserve list or whatever. Um, my point was more, more of the fact that there's, there's, if you've already missed a boat on something, just let it go. It's fine. There will be, like something else coming your way um, with how many products are coming up. Uh, Iconic masters. Um, I think Exxon has a lot of sweet stuff. If you want to start like looking at like, Oh, what, like, what will be good at the pro tour if you want to like if you do any sort of testing pro tour testing if you know people or like in general you can just kind of identify what's underpowered uh what's undercosted. um or with iconic masters we talked last week about like hey like you know there's definitely some sweet cards out there horizon can't be as new art like if those are types of things that you're thinking about like you're a hundred dollars like could very easily be like 120 130 dollars like it's not very hard to make a reasonable amount of gains if you're willing to wait as opposed to just trying to jump on the back the bandwagon that's already rolling away from you.
0: Travis how are you managing your bankroll leading into uh your wedding and all these new reprints? Well, we already, we didn't
1: have this conversation with JR was on. We had the conversation when I was on cause that was the one cast. People said I had good ideas. Oh, uh, when to what <laughs> not to do. Uh, as for how am I managing my bankroll now? Well I'm annoyed that I have to replace the clutch in my car and also have to get married in six weeks cause I saw a new set of wheels, a set of wheels on Craigslist that I really want to buy for my car and it's a really good price, but I probably shouldn't buy them with all these expenses and it sucks
0: yeah I think your bankroll would be a little tired by then. You really need to stay away from impulse buys.
2: I don't I don't know what to say to you about that one. It's like I'm at a loss for words. You really have to be careful when
0: you're managing expenses when it comes to magic finance guys like I think we've been over this a million times. Um, if you think about it though Travis, there are a lot of people that are selling out to me that are literally trading cardboard for house repairs or down payments on houses or like uh, vacations. I think this is something where you should maybe cut your portfolio back a little as far as like any masterpieces you have that you might've gotten like 20% returns on. You can take like 10 to 15% returns uh, on some of the lower end ones and TCG will have your money in your bank account by the time it rolls around. But knowing you, you probably budgeted pretty well for this wedding anyway. So like you're not like last minute, oh God, I have to, you know, fly some crazy celebrity in and do something like that. Cause uh, it would cost a lot of money to fly Rudy in from uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Uh, well, you know, the other uh, the other half of this is just like in magic, there's always another opportunity around the corner. So even if I don't buy this one, uh, when I am ready to buy I'm sure I can find something else Also, I found out that the Acer Predator X34 needs like at least a 980 Ti and probably a 1070 or 1080 to run Which sucks because you can find them for like 800 bucks on eBay and I'm like maybe I can do that But no, I would have to buy a $500 video card, too And then once you're in that boat just buy a VR headset. Why even need the cool monitor? It's I knew three of
2: those words Were they were the the Acer and the Ti? Yeah,
0: basically it's a rapper, right? He I think he's in jail. Oh no, he was in jail. So but yeah, Travis has a good point as far as um there's always gonna be a better deal. Like I know Ed talked about that as well. Like you can always afford to pass on collections because if you're savvy, there will be another one that walks along. So keep that in mind. Use your head, people. Jim, are you managing your bankroll in any way or are you just like have a healthy budget? so you know exactly how much you can spend on cards.
2: I mean, I I kind of just buy stuff when I need it. I don't particularly go out of my way to buy other things. I'm also trying to save for a wedding, so like, I have to be conscious about whether or not I decide to buy a foil copy or a regular copy of some cards. But I don't know. I'm, I'm well off enough that I don't worry that much about it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Ed and I will never have to worry about that. So hooray. Um, yeah. So we've talked Ed, I just thought that was a really good point that a lot of people responded well to. Um, it might seem that your opportunities are endless right now, but if you buy like a, if you're listening and you buy a $200 collection, uh and it's got like $350 worth of cards and you bounce on that and then the next day you see a Craigslist ad or something that looks even better and you're like, man, I don't have the money anymore. It's uh it can be rough to look at what you've missed. I've had that feeling a lot. I, I can imagine Ed has too at Grand Prix, where like you've passed on a card and then someone walks up to the booth and says, Hey, do you have this card? Frustrating things in the world, I can imagine.
1: You know, there is, um, there's another half to this equation that we haven't really talked about. Sure. If you have a, uh, a hypothetical hundred dollars, um, and you spend it all on some card. That means you don't have the hundred dollars with something better comes along. So you don't necessarily want to like spend your entire bankroll on something or what have you. You want to diversify, leave yourself some room to maneuver. The flip side of that is if you have this hundred dollars and you, purchase, but then nothing does come up for a while, essentially you've lost your, you're paying an opportunity cost in keeping the money liquid, uh, and you're not getting any returns on it cause it's just a hundred dollars sitting on your desk. So there, there is that half of it as well as like, even if you bought something and then you're waiting to flip it, uh, it might not be the best returns your money could have gotten you, but that doesn't mean that it also return you could have gotten.
0: I'm not telling anyone to spend all their money on everything, but it is another way to think about it. Yeah, just spend all your money buying cards off of us on Twitter. I think that's the only way to go about MTG. No, I'm kidding. We aren't that type of podcast, guys. Um, yeah, I just think it's uh, it's interesting that, like, I don't know. I'm sure Ed has plenty of stories about stuff he's passed on or stuff he's gotten stuck with. Um, and then, like, like there's the only one person in the world. What? Like, like the three, the three of, of us? us? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's all relative. But at the other hand, Travis, the other thing I would keep uh, keep in mind is that we're spending money on pieces of cardboard in the end. And yes, that can make us money, but in the end, it's still just cardboard. Ed, you got anything to add?
3: I think I think to kind of further elaborate on Travis's point, right? It's like finding like a medium between, like with you know, with, like your hundred dollar example, for example. Um, I, uh, I like, like, like managing your bankroll that like, that kind of is all aspects of being efficient, being able to spend your money wisely. Um, if you like, if we wanted to go back to the poker example, right? Let's say you, you, let's say you grind your way up to like, you know, $5,000, whatever you're at the point where like.
0: You can prob
3: like, from, like, let's say you go from, like, $1,000, you grind your way up to $5,000. Hypothetically speaking, I, I'm too tired to do any sort of numbers in my head right now. Right? And a lot of people are like, okay, like, my current, like, you know, 1-2 game, like, I've, I've outgrown that. Like, it's no longer good enough for me. I, I just, like, I can, like, I can crush the game. I'm ready to move on to, like, 2-5, for example. And when people make that jump, like, it's a much, much bigger investment. You have to go through, you have to be willing to risk more money and sometimes if you have a bad day, it's gonna cost you a lot of your bankroll. And that's basically in what Travis is saying. Like if you're going to sacrifice a hundred dollars all at once, right, like you're taking a huge risk. And if you and if you get burned that spec, right, you're you're basically starting out nothing. So what realistically you should do, you should spend twenty five to fifty of it. Have something safe, like, hey, I, like I'm willing to take a chance on like a place out of these cards or whatever. That's fine, if you get out of it, if you break even, at least you still have the remaining $50 that you can put in towards something else. And like that's a very, very simple philosophy, but for some reason, a lot of Magic players just don't have like the business sense. A lot, of, a lot of stores are kind of in the same boat. They think they can buy up everything and then they just don't move it fast enough, so now you're sitting on a pile of cards and not a way to pay the bills. Or you just have a bunch of money laying around and you just don't have customers. So it's a matter of finding a balance of both and just being able to manage it correctly. And it's will, always it's always to sorry to cut you off. It's always intuitive how to go about it either. Sometimes you think like I have all this money, I should just buy anything. But again, that's kind of like where my tweet comes in. Just be patient. Like there will be an opportunity. You will have a chance that comes up. You don't have, you don't have to just like go and just like you you don't really need to go get them attitude in this. If you're smart, if you're savvy, like opportunities will come to you.
0: And I think it's also important before Travis jumps in that. If you're trying to jump into the deeper waters with this, it's important to take a break and step back and look at the bigger picture. Ed just went on a sabbatical. Doug just went on a sabbatical. Bashard's on a sabbatical. Like, Don't get too caught up in magic because it can be unhealthy. And I repeat this all the time, but there's a lot of people out there that take this way too seriously. We're just trying to help you guys make the game be cheaper, not start you off with the new uh, Warren Buffett of MTG Finance. What were you
1: gonna say, Travis? Uh, the one comment I will make is uh, perhaps the most important thing you can remember is that magic cards will not sell as fast as you think they will,
0: unless you're buy listing, and then you're mm-hmm. not making money. So
2: exactly. I mean, that's not necessarily true. Uh, I'm I'm kind of in this the boat of like. Right now i don't really buy a ton of cards to speculate on but there are sometimes just deals that are too good to pass up so uh the probably the biggest magic purchase i've made in the last six months which i bought a bunch of concept your fetch plants for like basically buy list price and i didn't really need them per se but those are the kind of cards that like are the safest bets long term because the worst case scenario is i sell them again for buy list but Realistically, that bylaws is not going to stay stagnant for the entire time that I own the cards.
1: Who are you disagreeing with? Myself or Jeremy? Me. Oh. Okay.
0: Yeah, and that's actually a good point, Jim. I didn't think about it like that. Um, it just feels like there's there's locals who have insane collections, and they try to sell all their stuff at once to a shop, and the shop may not have the capital to necessarily banking back on what Travis said here that you can't sell magic cards as fast as you wish. There's customers that will go to a shop and the shop will only be able to afford $5,000 for their collection. And they'll nitpick all the good stuff out like duels and fetches. And then they're left with a bunch of like foil, uh mix and just like a random foil blood guest and all this other stuff that's impossible to move. So especially when you're starting to liquidate extra cards you have, either reach out to shops with bigger bankrolls or reach out to bigger uh, vendors necessarily, like going online and looking at um, BIOS tools to see which shops were willing to pay the most. Because I know Doug makes a decent amount of change arbitraging BIOS differences after picking out bulk. So it's a good yeah. thing to keep an eye on. If you have
1: a large collection to sell, reach out to stores with bigger bankrolls. Like, for instance, you can check out St. Louis in Missouri. You might be able to find a store there. They're pretty centrally located.
0: I got a shout-out on Star City Games today, and I could not be happier.
2: Actually, you didn't, you didn't get any shout-out per se. <laughs> he just used an anecdote from what he had seen. It just happened to be you.
0: Right, but... I don't think he wanted to put my info out there without me knowing, because I didn't know it until like he put the article up, and then I just got a lot of people saying, is this you? And it's like, aha! Thanks for being a bro. I mean, he could have asked you, but
2: he didn't, because yeah. he didn't want to.
0: Ouch. Well, now I'm thoroughly crushed. So I guess we should pick it up from here by moving into Pick of the Week. And of course, Ed, who is sleep-deprived and has worked a very long day, Looking at magic cards, Ed. What is your pick of the week?
3: Uh, I like. I know it's been picked before, which kind of feels like it's cheating. But I think this is a good time to revisit it. Um, Hour of Promise is kind of a kind of in a good spot. We saw it a little bit towards the very, very end of Standard a few weeks ago in uh, Turin and Washington D.C. The green-white ramp deck uh, it made use of it. Played a lot of the the deserts, the, both the green and the white desert. Um, In addition to Scavenger Grounds, it was enough to kind of, basically, our promise was enough to put some creatures in a way, effectively gaining you some life and just kind of ramping you up to spells, like the bigger like Eldrazi. Uh, The downside is obviously like Ulmog kind of the monster standard, is rotating. Um, So we have to kind of turn to like, okay... Like, what are the new cards? Like, is drawing seven cards good enough? Like, are we playing, like, these large, dumb dinosaurs? Like, is a 6 mana seven-six, like, really going to be $30? Like, that one seems a little vicious to me, but there doesn't seem to be any shortage of these powerful, splashy, mythic-type effects that maybe could translate to standard. Um, at this point... Uh a lot I think I think a lot of the more obvious like standard cards have kind of self-corrected uh the scare of God is now the most expensive card in our devastation by a fairly large margin as uh, so the both kind of sailed there um so our promise it's like inconspicuous like you're not gonna make a ton on it realistically like if ramp does be, somehow become the best deck I don't see us going to like more than like four dollars maybe um at which point it would like maybe become a long-term hold but I think like it doesn't really hurt to spend like you know twenty dollars to get like twelve copies, thirteen copies, or something. I think it's like hovering a little bit more than a dollar right now. I think it's a dollar and change on TCG Player. Um, but that's kind of where I would look right now for standard. Uh, if you're going to kind of like catch a decent break, like now is really the time to do it. Uh, the past few months, I've obviously like been railing a lot. Like, hey, like pick up these undercost mythics. Last weekend was Heart of Kieran, The week before that was like a braid a lot of these undercosted cards, like, once supply dries up and it will dry up pretty fast, like, that's kind of where you want to be in Standard, probably for the next, like, few weeks until things kind of straighten themselves out.
0: Nice one. Jim?
2: So, um, I'm not sure how much money you can make off of the my pick this week, but if you play Standard or intend to play Standard in the near future... You'll probably end up saving yourself a bunch of money if you do this now. Um, I think that you should be buying a playset of all of the cycling duels from Amanket. Uh, We're not opening them anymore. They are only going to get more played at this point because of how well they work with the um, check plans that we're getting in this set. Um, Dinosaurs are red-green, pirates are blue-black. Those are probably the most important ones to pick up early. Um, we've seen that some of the... Uh, Check lands from uh, Kaladesh can be quite expensive. I think like isn't uh Spire Bluff Canal like eight or nine dollars or something like that. Yes, it gets played in Modern. It, it changes things a little bit, but um, I'm a big fan of just getting your lands set up. Uh, those are those are probably going to be the best things that you could buy right now, no matter what you end up playing.
0: Yeah, I really like the bicycle lands as a pickup, gym. That's something that our viewers should keep an eye out for. You know, that one really spoke to me. And as long as you're not barred from picking them up for being too expensive, I think you should definitely take the plunge and uh, just get your set. Because that's a trend that a lot of newer uh, players never understand, that the older dual lands always go up. I mean, I remember playing back as far as Scars and Mirrodin when those lands went up. Uh, to like twenty dollars for a Seacrum Coast during uh, that standard, uh, so it's just something to keep in mind. Just to I, mean, I think the really goes. big.
2: Sorry, I was to say the really big thing here is like people were like unhappy with standard but Amon um, Kent and Hour of Devastation were out, and if a bunch of people come back into standard after not playing for a while, there's just not going to be enough copies of the cards to go around. Yep, Travis, what have you got?
0: Is it a Gattic Teague Judge promo as pick of the week? Would have been.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with foil panharmonicon The card is in 11,000 decks and it's still only $9 it's going to only going to go up for the foils. It'll get reprinted, but not the foils and it will be like $20. The card is the next doubling season. Pretty much. Uh, if you wait long enough
0: and Russian foils are only $50 so clear, what sure. strategy there.
1: All four people you can sell that card too.
0: Yep. Uh, I really like that one. Jim, how many Panharmonicons do you play in your EDH decks? Are you not that type of player?
2: Um, I don't actually play any at the moment because it doesn't really synergize with the decks that I have. Uh, I own a foil one on the chance that I actually do want to play one, but I don't actually have a a big reason to play it at the moment. Um, I try not to do that thing too often because it gets a little repetitive. Uh, I'd like to have all my decks do different things, so I get a different experience. It gives me a reason to build another deck, really.
0: Cool. And my pick of the week is Recruiter of the Guard. This card has started dropping in price, and buy lists have been falling. Uh, my guess is of two things. Um, one would be, since his Divining Top getting banned in Legacy, there's been a noticeable decline since then. Uh, the deck played them to go get Painter Servant in order to combo off for the Imperial Red-White Painter deck. Uh, the other thing is Legacy Support right now uh, is down. We're not going to see another Legacy GP until next year, I believe. Uh, so that card should start turning back up. Then it's very good in Death and Taxes and a lot of EDH uh, decks that are low to the ground. I've seen it in a lot of like Human Soldier decks as a way to go and get Mirror and Crusaders and other small things. Um, it also is repeatable Blink, obviously. So that's when I would be trading for right now. Bios have fallen by two to three dollars in the most major bios. Uh, so if you're looking at this card as far as someone's selling you a collection, that's one of those that I might not necessarily flip right away because if bios go back up, you can make money that way. And sure, you can get easy money now, but it—I don't think this hurts you. Just like the cons fetches uh, being held on to, I don't think this is a Masters 25 reprint. I think they have far better things. Um, to target then. So that's just the card I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, We repriced it down and immediately sold out. So this is anecdotal evidence, obviously. Um, But when I looked at how much I was paying, I was paying too much. Um, And now I have to keep paying too much because we're sold out. But a lot of the shops are starting to drop their buy list on this card. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, The price might go down a little bit farther and then you hope it rebounds when Legacy starts up again. Uh, we, We see these cycles all the time. And I'll definitely be keeping an eye on Storm as well when that one comes out. Now, where can everybody find you guys if everyone's listened to the cast for this long and enjoyed all these puns over the last 50 minutes? Ed, if I were to enjoy your content, is there a GP I could see you at this weekend or a place I could follow you on the interwebs?
3: Uh, I'm on Twitter, Edwin13. Uh, this weekend, I will not be at a Grand Prix. I'll actually be at Pokemon events for the next two weekends. Uh, Following that, I will be at US Nationals. We will have a booth there. Um, Maybe Eternal Weekend. I haven't quite made plans for that yet. It's a little too far out. There's just too much going on between now and then. After that, Hong Kong and Travis's wedding and I don't know what else is next. That's too far out to think about
0: yeah
2: cool and jim where can people find you Uh, you can find me on twitter at phrost underscore you can find me on gathering magic every other week and uh, quiet speculation usually every week
0: and travis where can people find you
1: I am on Twitter at wizard B U M P I N. I write every Monday for MTG price. I do the MTG fast finance podcast recently mentioned on the CBC Canadian broadcast channel. Uh, and if you like playing magic, check out scry.land, find magic in your area.
0: And I'm Jeremy. You can find me mentioned not by name on star city games article today under the MTG finance section. I'm going to go pin that on my wall of zero accomplishments behind me. Um, you can find me in the great state of Missouri. We have a Legacy Winemock Sapphire coming up with an extra thousand dollars of prizes thrown in on top of that. Uh, these events always seem to sell out, so I hope to see you guys there if you're in the Midwest. I should be at Eternal Weekends. My plans keep changing. Like I'm booked, but. We'll see what happens, just like Ed, my schedule is quite fluid. And you can follow me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. I want to thank you guys for coming on this week and helping to produce yet another hit episode of Cartel Aristocrats. Uh, If you guys want to follow our content, you can find us on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. You can find us on Twitter at Cartel underscore finance. And as always, you can listen to the exclusive After Hours on our SoundCloud or YouTube, or iTunes pages. And we want to thank you guys all for listening on Gathering Magic and any other place you might find us. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Have fun making a little bit more money after listening to this cast. And crush your Ixalan release drafts. Bye.